Warren Wearsby, who was the late Baptist minister and Bible teacher, wrote about how difficult it is in our day and our society to properly understand and even define the idea of freedom. How difficult it is for us to define and understand freedom well. So, for instance, he pointed out how two members of our society, perhaps the most vigilant activists, political activists, social activists, and the most hedonistic party-goer, both of them define freedom in totally contradictory ways. That's a lot of that going around in our day. The definition, the understanding of freedom in contradictory ways. But worst of all, I think, is that many Christians, I don't think, understand what freedom really is. Wearsby writes about how Christians who used to gather together to sing hymns, to take communion, to recite the Apostles' Creed, to pray the Lord's Prayer, and to altogether worship with one another will be at each other's throats the second that their so-called freedom is threatened. People that once loved one another are willing to divide when they feel like their personal freedom is at stake. Now this is a dangerous place to be as a Christian. Because what we find is that when we value our personal liberties, our individual freedom, our own autonomy, when we value that above worshiping the Lord together and loving one another, we find only disaster awaits us. We make ourselves sitting ducks, Peter would have us to know, for these false teachers whom he described last week as wild beasts. See, when we're so focused on ourselves, what we can get, what we can do, and nobody bothering us, we find ourselves in a deeply vulnerable state as Christians. Because almost always, these false teachers will appeal to our desire for freedom. And right at that appeal is where they will deceive us the worst. They'll cause us to distrust the Lord, to be disobedient to His Word. And so this morning, Peter warns us to not be taken in by the evil schemes of false teachers that appeal to us based on freedom, the idea of freedom. Schemes that appeal to our desires for, of selfishness, of sinfulness. And so Peter this morning uses metaphors for these false teachers that are not flattering at all. Because these people deceive, because they mislead, he refers to them in really harsh and vivid analogies. He compares them to dry spaces, devoid of life-giving water. He compares some of them to dirty street animals who live in their own disease-spreading filth. Now the language that Peter uses this morning makes us modern people uncomfortable. We don't want to sound like judgmental Bible Belt types. And so we, we, we kind of tend to back away from Scripture passages like this. Nobody puts on a coffee mug or a t-shirt about a dog returning to its own vomit. Like a sow wallowing after it's been cleaned. We don't want to hear that. It's harsh on our modern ears. But Peter, importantly, refuses to play nice 
with these scheming predators. These people that want to corrupt and enslave our hearts to things, to the sin that will ultimately kill us. So an important thing is on the line, and that's why Peter speaks so harshly. But before we get to that, let's remind ourselves of where we've been coming from. For the past three or four weeks now, we've been dealing with false teachers. And we're almost out of the woods, folks. It's exhausting. I don't like talking about this any more than you like listening to it, trust me. But last week, Peter told us that false teachers in time become in such a way that they look more like wild animals than they do like human beings. They hunt vulnerable prey. They stalk people that they can manipulate out of money and pleasure. And worst of all, these false teachers who willingly dehumanize themselves will look for ways to dehumanize you too. They train you not to care, uh, or rather, they train you only to care about power, about wealth, about what this world can offer you while caring nothing for the Lord or for others. And so he illustrated to us this so perfectly by recounting the Old Testament story of the evil prophet Balaam and his faithful steed. Not a majestic war horse, but a, a, a mule that couldn't speak. So when an invisible angel blocked Balaam's path on his way to curse Israel, it was only the donkey that could see the danger that lie ahead of them. And he responded rightly by turning away from this holiness that he saw. And it saved Balaam's life. But Balaam got angry because he couldn't see the way the donkey could see. He couldn't see from a heavenly perspective the, the terror that awaited him. And so he hit the donkey, the, the donkey, but the Lord enabled the donkey to speak, and it rebuked Balaam. And all of this reminded us, in summary, that while false teachers will willingly become like irrational animals to pursue their selfish pleasures, that God and Christ, by contrast, selflessly humbled himself, becoming like another kind of animal, a sacrificial lamb, who by his crucifixion and resurrection saves us from our sin and death. But this week, Peter continues on with his diatribe against these false teachers by exposing them not only as irrational beasts, but now he calls them waterless springs and wallowing sows. So let's look together starting in verse 17, at what Peter would have us to know. In the first part of 17, Peter compares these false teachers to springs without water and mists driven by storms. Now in doing so, I think Peter's doing something clever here. He's connecting the idea of teaching and preaching. He's connecting that idea with the images of wind and of water. That's something the Bible does often. It, it connects the idea of the effect of preaching and teaching on a human soul to how, the, how water gives life, how the wind, like the breath, is, is a sign of life. And so, for instance, if you want to see how this paradigm is set up, we can find it at the very beginning of the Bible. If you go to Genesis 1, for instance, it describes how the Spirit of God the Spirit, the breath, the wind of God hovers over this 
chaotic waters of pre-creation, when there's nothing else, God is hovering over some mysterious waters of some kind, but then God speaks. That is, God preaches. And the waste and the wild of those waters at once form into something with order, with inhabitants, with purpose. And suddenly the waters of death where nothing could exist, we read, becomes living water, teeming with life, fish, birds, all sorts of creatures live in this place. Because God spoke, God preached, and life came from water. Genesis 1. But then consider Genesis 2. Genesis 2, we get kind of another vantage point on creation. See, in Genesis 2, instead of describing uh, the sort of pre-existence as as a vast ocean of nothingness, the Bible talks about how instead the pre-creation, it looked like an arid desert where no water came up and and, and, and watered the plants. There wasn't even scrubs in the land. It's just an arid, dry wilderness of nothing. Where no springs of water or no watering mists come down from the sky and give life to anything. But again, you remember what happens. The Spirit of God hovers over this lifeless dust. And then God breathes. He inspires. He speaks. And guess what? This dead dirt comes to life and bears God's image and likeness in the form of a human being. Where there is nothing but dead, dry dustiness, God speaks and life happens. Breath, wind, cause Adam to be born. And so the wind of God, that is the Holy Spirit, when it moves, when He speaks and breathes, physical and spiritual life happen. That's the image that we get all throughout the Scriptures. Just recently in Ezekiel, here God takes Ezekiel to this valley of dry bones. And He says, can these live? What do you think? Well, you know, Lord. Preach to them, Ezekiel. Breathe! over them. And as he breathed, another breath goes out. The breath of the Holy Spirit reviving this just this cemetery, this vast graveyard of spiritual and physical death. God's breath goes forward and people that were once dead come to life. That's the effect of God's Spirit. That's the effect of His preaching. It's interesting, isn't it? Think about that. But then we think also about water. And we see how God saves through it time and time again. I mean, we've read the Old Testament recently. We see how He's delivered people through the waters, through floods and seas and rivers. How He gives His people a sweet stream to drink in the wilderness. How He gives them holy water to purify themselves before tabernacles, before temples. And at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, We see before he does anything else, he goes and plunges into the waters, taking on baptism. Not because he needed purification, but because he identified with humanity that did. He showed his obedience to the Father, his allegiance to the will of God by taking baptism. 
And he identified with us and what he was going to do in us when we would be reborn out of these waters. And in the middle of Jesus' ministry, we hear him say to a woman of ill repute in a community, somebody that the community wanted nothing to do with. Here's this woman that's had, she's a black widow. She's had so many marriages that have gone bad and that she's, she's considered persona non grata by her community. And yet Jesus comes to that woman and offers her living water. Himself and His Gospel. For her, despite the sins of her life. Promising that if she drinks of His Gospel, of His person, she'll never die. And so, folks, we see the power of breath, of wind, of water, of mist. If we understand those things, we can see how disconcerting it is now that Peter calls these false teachers and their false doctrines springs without water. In other words, they look promising to people from afar. People that are thirsty for truth. People that are thirsting and hungering after righteousness. But they they come to these springs without water and they get up close and all they get, they see the mirage disappear and all that is there is death. That's what these false teachers are. They offer no living water. And how discouraging it is for them to be called mists driven by a storm. See, this is a, this is a part of the world that's glorious when, when the, the wind is there and when there's water. It's, it can be like a paradise in the Middle East. But when there is no rain, when there's no water, when the clouds go roll over Jerusalem, it looks like it's going to release a, a good rain, but all there is is a little bit of mist that gets everything damp. All the plants die and they're, in a, they're, they're trapped in, a, in a, a, just an arid wilderness. And that's what these people are like. They look promising. They have big puffy clouds of teaching. Surely we'll get some life-giving water from them. And all they do is release a little mist and the wind drives them away. The Spirit of God drives that away because they weren't life-giving, watering clouds. Friends, let's be brutally honest this morning. Our nation is overrun with these kind of false teachers. Both secular and religious. They offer us false promises for false freedoms. They promise to be a spring of water where you can quench your political soul and you go there and there's nothing but death. They promise to give life-giving rain through the windfall of cash that will come your way if you invest in these right things and move into the right neighborhoods and take the right jobs, and yet, not a single drop do they offer you. The freedom, the great American freedom to amass as much money as we want to only spend on ourselves, Peter tells you, is not freedom. A slavery to an idol. You're worshiping mammon. You're worshiping Moloch. You're not worshiping the Messiah. And the freedom we have, the so-called freedom we have 
to use our bodies in whatever way we want and to use anybody else's body for our own pleasure. That sounds like freedom to a lot of people, but that's not freedom. It's slavery to other false gods. It's slavery to the fertility gods of the Old Testament, the Asherahs, the, the, the gods of, of lust in the New Testament, Artemis. That's who we're worshiping. Not God. And for these idols and all of their worshipers, Peter's serious and somber here, only the gloom of darkness awaits them. They're alluring to us, though. We have to guard ourselves because we're so easily deceived. But don't be deceived, Christians. Facebook and Fox News and the free market, smartphones and CNN and social media, pornography and politics and pyramid schemes all claim to offer you freedom, but in the end, they will enslave you, body and soul, and hand you over to hell and death. Evangelicals need to hear and believe that again in this nation. We have set our hopes on a lot of false teachers and accused faithful preachers and prophets of being false for believing and preaching the Word of God. Church, do Peter's words here sound familiar to you in verse 18? For by uttering boastful and empty words, they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery people who have barely escaped from those who live in error. That's all we get on social media and cable news these days. Boastful, empty, meaningless words. Nothing. The people that run these things or profit off of them want to seduce you. They know what buttons to push to make you angry. What buttons to push to make you afraid. And if only you keep them in power, you'll be saved. They want you to give in to your fleshly desires to hate other image bearers of God. They want you to fear the people that God sent you to love and serve. They want you to give up on faith and obedience and live as selfishly and as wickedly as you possibly can. But don't forget to give them your attention and your allegiance. Your money and your mind. Don't buy into it, church. Peter writes in verse 19 that they promise you freedom. How many people these days are promising you freedom? Every channel, every page that you follow promises you freedom. But they themselves are slaves of corruption. How can a slave offer you freedom when they've got chains around their wrists and neck? These people are enslaved to whatever defeats them. Whatever it is. Money, women, power, notoriety. They're enslaved to it. And it's defeating them. They say it's empowering, it's freeing them, it's defeating them. 
It's dragging them down into death. Christians, don't be defeated by an addiction to any of these idols. God has made you more than conquerors in Christ. He has given you the power of the Spirit, the power to defeat the world, the flesh, and the devil by taking up your cross daily and following Jesus every last step of the way to His kingdom. The gates of hell, whether they're Democrat or Republican, will not prevail against you who love the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and you who in turn love your neighbor as yourself. See folks, here's the scary reality. Peter tells us that there are all kinds of people in this world that we'll encounter that have also encountered this Gospel that we're dealing in this morning. They've gotten a whiff of the Lord Jesus Christ, but they've returned back to their blood-sucking idols. So many false teachers have a veneer of religiosity and worst of all, a veneer of Christianity. It's a facade. But in the end, they expose themselves as just the kind of people Jesus denounced them as in the Gospels. And John the Baptist denounced them in as the Gospels. They are whitewashed tombs and a brood of vipers. They just happen to be wearing a crucifix around their neck. Peter says it seemed like they did escape the world's impurities though. It looks like From our perspective, from our limited human perspective, these people have escaped the corruption of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It looks like because they know about Him that they know Him. But what happened? What happens, Peter says? but they are again entangled in the things that have defeated them. They say they know Jesus. They say Jesus knows them. But they are all wrapped up in their chains, bound to their idols. The last state of their awareness of the Gospel, of their flirting with the faith, that last state is worse for them than before they ever knew anything about it. For it would have been better for them to have not known the way of righteousness than after knowing, turn back from the holy command delivered to them. I think of Jesus and how He says, He looks, Jesus, when nobody else does, takes children so seriously. He sees their sense of wonder, their ability to worship as the ideal, not our cynical adult knowledge, our no-betterness of being a respectable homeowner or whatever. Nobody takes children seriously, but Jesus does. He takes the faith, the, the childlike faith, of his, of his people seriously. He praises it. What a wonderful thing it is to be, to be, um, to be 
somebody that's childlike in their trust and obedience to the Lord, and he says to the ones that deceive and hurt those, it's better if they tie a millstone around their neck and throw themselves into the ocean. That's a better fate for them than standing before a just and holy God that watches them manipulate and lie to people and mislead them into sin and death. That's what Peter says here. It would be better for these TV personalities, for these social media influencers to go ahead and throw themselves into the ocean than it would be to stand before God with what they've done. The division that they've sown in the church. Be careful, Christians. We're not messing around here. I wish we were. My blood pressure would be lower. But Peter says in verses 20 and 21, those who get a taste of the Lord's goodness and His sweetness through the Gospel of Jesus Christ, but in the end choose to get all tangled up in the webs of their false gods of this world, it would just have been as better for them on Judgment Day to have never heard the Gospel. There's no neutral ground when you hear the Gospel. You repent and believe and obey and have freedom or you reject it and go on into a life of wickedness and injustice and get what you deserve in ways that would singe your eyebrows off if you could see. Church, I get sick and tired of people who profess Jesus Christ with their lips but peddle every lie and deceit and conspiracy theory that allows them to justify the sin in their lives. Instead of humbling themselves, instead of repenting, instead of seeking unity in the church, they get so caught up in their knowledge. I see the way the world really works. I can't be deceived and tricked like all you simpletons. And they drag people into hell with them. Proclaiming this is the will of God. We are not called to worship at the altar of Capitol Hill. We are not called to ignore the truth and the greater sacrifice of Calvary. We are not called to live for Wall Street and to in turn forget the way, the truth, and the life. Because here's the reality that we need to embrace as a church. This world, this nation as it stands, is not our ultimate reality. The rules that the world sets, the rules that the government sets, the rules that Wall Street and the free market sets are not the defining realities of Christians. America says that some people are important and others are not. The beautiful are important. The, the, the in shape are important. The talented are important. The rich are important. The smart are important. But anybody that doesn't produce, 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 we can overlook. The world says that some people are worthy and others are not 
of love. But Jesus Christ, the King of creation, says, come to Me all who are weary and burdened with this life. Everybody. I and I alone will give you living water and heavenly rest and eternal life. See, the Christ says, if the rich and the scholarly, if the powerful and the religious won't come to my wedding banquet, I will go to the highways and byways. I'll search the gutters and the ghettos, the bars and the brothels, the prison cells and the refugee camps. I'll go where no religious person would ever dare tread, and I will make dead bones live and redeem sinners. With them I will build my church. This alone is the wisdom of God. We set up hierarchies. These are the people that we like. These are the people that we dislike. These are the people that we trust. These are the people that we distrust. But Jesus has no room for our categories. He will love and save and be merciful to whom He desires. And that alone is the wisdom of God for us. And speaking of wisdom, Peter closes now this paragraph by going back to the Old Testament yet again. Man after my own heart. The Old Testament's so much fun. It's hard to understand, but it's worth the, it's worth the fight, I think. He's taken us to Genesis a couple weeks ago, last week to Numbers, and now he's in Proverbs with us. He has another final comparison about these false teachers. They're like waterless springs. But now he says, the false teachers who glimpsed Jesus' glory but chose Satan's lies. It recalls a proverb of Solomon that you may remember. They are like a dirty street dog, a mangy stray that doesn't eat the bread of life, but it returns to its own acidic vomit. And it calls that a Thanksgiving feast. He pairs that disgusting image with a common Jewish saying about how cleaned pigs and washed sows always seem to go back to wallowing in their own refuse. See, folks, this is we talked about the apocalypse of Peter, not this supernatural, end-of-the-world stuff that people love to watch on TV and movies and stuff. But the apocalypse is biblically defined. A revealing where God strips away the blinders of our sin and allows us to see reality from His heavenly perspective. This is what Peter reveals. The idols of this world, the false teachers of this world that peddle money and power and fame and pleasure, that's nothing but excrement. That's what that is. It's waste that deserves to be in a latrine. The lies we buy into that have been gift-wrapped and bow-tied for us, those things belong in a toilet, not on a table. I've shared this quote before, and I'll share it again. But C.S. Lewis, in his famous sermon, The Weight of Glory, says this. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, The things that we desire, it's not that those are too strong, but really that they're too weak. Because we're half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and an ambition 
when infinite joy, a greater desire, is offered to us. We're like ignorant children who want to go about making mud pies in the slums because we cannot imagine what is meant by the gospel offer of a holiday at the beach. We are far too easily pleased. The mud pies of partisanship, the mud pies of playing the stocks, the mud pies of of getting nasty with each other because we're not from the same race or same country or speak the same language or, or vote the same way or live in the same neighborhood. That's mud pies. Church, don't be so easily pleased. Don't go to drink from the waterless springs and find there's nothing there. Don't go into the slop of sin with the wallowing of sows. Don't get entangled in the lies of this world, the flesh, and the devil. Because before you today is truth. It's the Gospel and the picture of a bread and a cup. Because when you were unloved and unlovely, when you were overlooked and ignored by this evil world, when you were just a voting block to be manipulated, when you were just a customer to be lied to, when all you had in your heart towards others and yourself and towards God and everyone was fear and lust and pride, when that was the only thing that could ever be true of you, the sinless, Righteous, loving Lord Jesus left all the glory and joy and infinitude of heaven to find you in your squalor. To clean you by water and the Word. To die and rise so that you, when you come to this supper table, there will be no question in your mind, no shadow of a doubt that this is where you find true freedom. In Him is where you find life everlasting. So church, the only thing that I guess I can say now is to come and to taste and to see that the living water and that the Lamb of God is good. Let's pray. Lord, free us from the temptations of false teachers. Temptations to disbelieve and to disobey. And instead, O Father, give us real freedom. The freedom of forgiven sin. That we might worship You in joy and love one another by Your grace. For it's in Jesus' name alone we pray this morning. Amen.